This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. What's going on? You're listening to the Millennial Balance Podcast here on 105.9 The Region. I'm Shaliza Backus. I'm Afwa Ba. Shaliza, it's been a minute. I know, we're back. But we're back. And we're outside because it's so warm it outside. It is warm. <laughs> Clearly, I, this is what happens when you put us in a I closet know. for too long. I know. And I feel like the last episode we did, we were complaining about it snowing yes. in April yes. or something. So yeah. we're happy now. Mother Nature finally heard us. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I'm not complaining because there's there's been no transition to spring. It's been I like know. It was winter. Spring, summer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. So you're just no into it. It's just 30 degrees all of a sudden. I can't complain. But anyway, we're not here to talk about the weather. Mm-mm. We are here, though, to talk about owning a home. You mean owning a plantain box? Because owning mean, a home seems like it's <laughs> far away in you the know, distant at future. At this point, uh, that cardboard box on the side of the 401. It's looking pretty nice. Yep. It still has four walls-ish, you know? <laughs> that's luxury at this point. It really is. And that's the part that's so frustrating, I think, for our demographic, because we want to get into that housing market. I mean, I think during the pandemic, we saw that plunge happen. And then all of a sudden, we just saw prices just going insane yeah and and now i feel like we're kind of kicking ourselves if we didn't take advantage Mm -hmm. of that plunge because it seems like a lot of millennials did now get this Mm -hmm. 48 percent of canadians aged 25 to 35 currently own their homes and a quarter of those people actually purchased their homes during the pandemic own the home they own them we are not part of that demographic we did not get the memo we we didn't (laughs) So how do we sort of get in if like we're trying to get in now? Well, lucky for you, we've got a good (laughs) guest to answer those questions. We are joined by Scott Satov, CEO and founder of Loans Canada. Hey, Scott. Hi, guys. How are you? We're good. But, you know, that housing conversation is making me feel a little sad. Just a little bit. (laughs) Won't lie. I hear you. It's it's been a crazy, you know, the whole market was going 200 miles per hour until late April and then boom it, it did get out a bit and now it's back to normal but the height the prices are still quite high so I definitely feel what you guys are talking about all right Scott we mentioned that 48 percent of people aged 25 to 35 own their homes in Canada who are these people and how did they do that Sure. So I read that study by Royal LePage as well, and I do find it a bit high, but they published it and they're a reputable name. So let's go with it. First, let's start with the pandemic and everyone was forced to work at home. So now you find yourself in an apartment with your roommate. You're both on the phone. You're both trying to do work, trying to bring home the bacon. And it's difficult. You have not a lot of room. Rent prices are still quite high. So a lot of people decided, hey, wouldn't it be great? There's this big stay-at-home movement, you know, work from the house, beautify your house, all that stuff. So a lot of people bought houses. They re- and, of course, the low interest rates certainly didn't help, uh, didn't hurt the, the, the problem at all. So low interest rates, people working from home, uh, stay-at-home movement, uh pushed a lot of people into home ownership. And also the other thing was that people weren't traveling, they weren't spending money on all restaurants and all other stuff. So they had more money than they expected. And they thought it was a great time to acquire a home, which they did. And of course that made the house prices just go ballistic, which I think that's what everyone's talking about now and how do we deal with that? 
were all of these homes purchased in sort of like the city center area or were they sort of more outside in the suburbs, um, more outside of the GTA where it's more affordable, quote unquote? You know, I, I, I wanted to say, you know, it makes sense that it was outside. I know places like Barrie, which is a city, you know, not far from the GTA, had super high prices. My partner bought a house in Angus, which is even, couldn't, he couldn't afford to live in Barrie, which is like, Barrie is not the GTA, no offense. But mm-hmm. anyway, so people did buy everywhere. But you know what? You think that the house prices in Toronto would go down, but they didn't. And that's probably why probably the reason because there was a lot of foreigners coming to town there was you know 400,000 new immigrants coming to Toronto and they probably just pushed the, the prices even higher so everyone would get buying a house pretty much everywhere but if anything the housing prices outside the GTA got buoyed by you know by people saying I can work from here I don't necessarily have to go to my office anymore so it, it pushed housing prices all over the places up in Canada for sure. Uh, Scott, I just want to speak to one point you just mentioned. You were saying a lot of immigrant families are trying to find places to live. And I was actually having a conversation with one of our coworkers here at the region, Jim Lang. He's got two girls who are away for university, and they were having a really hard time trying to find them a place to live outside of residence because in these, quote unquote, university towns, you know, there are certain areas where, you know, the students are going to buy houses and they can't even get places there because there are families who have moved into those areas yeah there's no question about it i mean a lot of people from foreign nations want to live in canada you know we i've been living here all my life and i'm very fortunate to live here but a lot of people thought canada's refuge it's the place to be it's the future it's a beautiful country and you know they added to that buying frenzy and really kept pushing prices up you know, if you look at where the, the real, the center of the of Canada, it's the GTA, and that's really where it went up the most. So then to follow up on that in terms of like the incentives, just to broaden that perspective a little bit, would you say that the pandemic sort of had a positive or negative effect on the housing market? Or is it uh, honestly a little bit of both? The pandemic pushed housing prices, coupled with this, you know, a lot of immigrants moving to Canada, the low interest rates, the fact that people had more disposable income, all of a sudden, people realize there's a housing shortage in Canada. It, there might have been a housing shortage, but I don't think it became as acute as it did. And it just sent the housing spiraling. And you know what happens? It's like, you know, your friend buys a house, and so you want to buy a house, and your other friend is working from home. So it's sort of like a spiraling uh, situation that just kept pushing prices higher and higher and higher. The housing prices are still very, very high, but the craziness died down about a month ago when the interest rates finally picked up for the first time in quite a little while, and now it's a whole new world out there. Is it a whole new world world that's affordable, though, for millennials? (laughs) No, not necessarily. It's not necessarily. Also, you know, interest rates are higher, so your debt costs would be higher. But it's not as crazy. Like, I'll give you an example. So if you put your house up for sale in Toronto, maybe there was 10 buyers coming to right there. Now there's only five buyers. It's better than having 10. The pressure is, you know, the pressure has diminished quite a bit. And I I don't think it's where we are now. I think it's where is it going to go is the big question. I don't have a crystal ball. I I don't know where it's going to go. Because of how fast the housing prices went up, I mean, 30% in a year in the the GTA in the markets. Markets like Hamilton, you know, Aurelia, Barry, 
it was priced out. I mean, it really was priced out. I know my partner was trying to buy a house there for a million dollars. He couldn't find a house in Barrie. Whoa, that's, that's crazy. crazy. So moving forward, what do you think are, are the first steps uh, people should be taking, millennials specifically, who clearly missed out on this pandemic mm. buying memo? But uh, what's the first step they should take uh, to trying to put a down payment on a home? And what's a realistic goal? I'll always tell people that smart, prudent financial planning is the way to go from from the start to the end. It starts with saving knowing where you stand financially, your credit score, not taking on too much debt, trying to be disciplined in your budgeting. Now there's so many options for people, buy now, pay later situations. I go to the store, I want a new mattress, and my credit card is full. Oh, great, we have a buy now, pay later scenario. That's debt that is going to eventually come to look at, come into play in your calculation and your debt-to-income ratio. So, I mean, discipline, and I, I don't know what to tell, you know, I, I look at you ladies out there who just want to buy everything and, you know, <laughs> clothing and all these friends. I, I should say men too, but I don't, I don't see it as much. With the I'm guys, guilty. But I ain't guilty, Scott. I'm, I disagree with you there. <laughs> I, I'm guilty. <laughs> <laughs> and shoes, ladies, I know how it goes. I'm just saying calm down, you know, budgeting, preparing for the future is the best way to go as far as I'm concerned. I, I don't want to say up the way the men too, they want a fancy car, they, you know, they see a lease payment and stuff like that. I think that discipline is really the, the smartest thing you can do. And saving as well, if you can save, the more savings you have, the better off you'll be when it actually comes to the right time to buy a house and you won't be as panicked, you'll get an approval easier and that might go a long way. That just reminds me, I just I saw a tweet not too long ago that uh, Elon Musk could afford to buy Twitter because he didn't buy a $5 coffee every day. <laughs> that. that one hurt me a little bit. <laughs> See, again, that's not me. <laughs> but, you know, just to follow up on that, you know, we've been seeing a lot of reports coming out now that a lot of millennials are relying on mom and dad and their bank accounts and their nest egg as a way to sort of help with the sort of down payment to be able to acquire property. But what happens to the lower and middle income millennials who don't have parents that have that nest egg available and at the same time they're seeing these prices and and you almost feel that pressure that you have to get into the housing market now because it's only going to go up sure so i mean i would always tell, i would always tell people don't panic you know you don't have to buy a house today there's a couple plans that the federal government has put into place you know there's an rrsp um buyers program that's you know been around for quite a bit of time so you know the RSP is a pretty good tool to effectively lower your tax while building savings. And you can use your RSP to make a first-time home purchase, which is a very good tool that the, that the government put in place. Just recently, there was a new tax-free home savings account announced by the federal government. Government also put into different rent-to-own programs that are brand new. You know, they're also building all these cheaper housing. So the government is trying to find different ways. And, of course, the bank of mom and dad is probably the easiest option. I, I, I'm always in favor of someone who, you know, has a good job, who's disciplined in their budgeting, who's using the RSP to have lower tax taxes and then eventually has a, some kind of savings in the RSP and finds a house with a partner who's also diligent 
and methodically makes that purchase. And from that purchase, you know, you could leverage it into another purchase down the road or you build up equity in your house. So just smart financial decisions and not panicking and, and, and not trying to, you know, when everyone panicked and started to buy houses, they're, they're, the housing prices were, was pretty high. So I think now that things have settled down, they're trying to say, they're sort of saying to themselves, well, where do we go from here, especially if our housing prices decline and what's the next step? Uh, and speaking to that point, you know, next steps, we're talking about, you know, in looking into the future. What are some steps that people can take to improve their financial literacy? And if they are able to make that down payment, how are they going to cover the rest? Sure. So I, I love what you're saying about financial literacy. I don't want to plug my company, Loans Canada, because we're really big into financial literacy, but we're not the only ones. You could go online and look for sound budgeting. What's readily available these days is your credit score and understanding how credit scores work, understanding that how your credit score goes up and down, which is, you know, these agencies basically evaluating your credit worthiness and they're doing it based on a formula. So you could learn about that. You could, you know, educate yourself into the property budgeting and not taking on too much debt and making sure you pay down your debt on time. Um, but the first step is 100% understanding financial literacy, budgeting, your credit, credit scores, and all the products that are available to, to millennials today. But, I mean, I get, it starts with educating yourself. Go online, looking and, and trying to understand how this could affect your future and your financial future. I've definitely got Scott's voice in my head now. Like every time I want to go get Starbucks, I'm just going to be thinking about that. That's $6 a day. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Scott, for your insights. If people want more information or some more advice, where can we find you? Sure. Thanks. Uh, look, loanscanada.ca was the original loan comparison site in Canada. We've been around for 10 years. It's a 10-year anniversary. We provide all sorts of tips about financial literacy, budgeting, different loan products, how to evaluate different products, lender reviews, our lender database, and it's just a place to get really informed before you start, you know, taking on more debt. Perfect. Thank you so much, Scott, for joining us. And uh, to all my millennials out there, stay strong. Don't give up. We got this. (laughs) Thank you so much, ladies. Have a great day. Do you have an idea or a podcast to share? Send it to us here at Discovery, the radio show for podcasters on 105.9 The Region. Listening to New Music on the Region, an interview-based podcast that showcases new music and provides industry insight. I'm your host, Christina Lavecchia, music director at 105.9 The Region. What do pop rock singer Corey Hart, the folk singing group The Travelers, and children's music trio Sharon Lois and Bram have in common? They're all notable Canadian Jewish musicians who appear in a new book, Under the Radar, written by David Eisenstadt. David joins me now to talk about the book. Hi, David. Congratulations on its release. Thanks very much, and I'm most appreciative of uh, being on your show. David, you are a recognized Canadian PR pro and the founding partner of TCGPR, the Communications Group, Inc. We can now call you an author. What inspired you to write the book? 
Well, it really happened um, about at the outset of COVID um, as a hobby. There were some online publications who were looking to um, have some writers contribute stuff. Uh, and basically, uh, on a kind of a volunteer basis, uh, not for pay, um, kind of just for love. And um, I came up with the concept of doing arts and culture as a general area, but then narrowed it down and, and determined that there were just lots of performers who um, were really out of sight, flying under the radar. And so I set up some criteria, Canadian, not necessarily Canadian-born, Jewish, all the genres, so from classical to rock to folk to uh, religious, individuals or groups, all genders, and um, they could still be alive or have passed on. From that point, I started to uh, started to write. What drew you uh, specifically to the topic of music? I come from a musical family. Uh, my son, uh, our, our son, Harris Eisenstadt's a professional jazz musician, composer. Um, I have an uncle who's actually written in, is in the book, was a longtime clarinetist and saxophonist at the O'Keefe Center Orchestra back in uh, the, the dance band days and back in the days when the O'Keefe Center was about the only real venue in the greater Toronto area that uh, any performer of note would consider playing at. Um, unless it was Maple Leaf Gardens and you're looking at 20,000 people. But as a performance space, that was sort of his his venue. And, and all of the big acts that came to Toronto inevitably played at the O'Keefe Centre. So the musical genes, if you like, are there. I chose to write about music and these artists from a historic, not a critical perspective. I wasn't going to write a puff piece, but I wanted to find a way to preserve history and people who were kind of out of the limelight under the radar, if you will, um, just made for um, interesting research. Each chapter looks at a different artist, and there are 30 artists featured. In my intro, I mentioned Corey Hart, The Travelers, Sharon Lewis and Bram. What other artists are featured in the book? Well, it really is an A to Z of, uh, of composition, if you will. The first happens to be a fellow who was uh, born in Morocco and, and immigrated to Canada, his name was Sammy El Magridhi. He was known in Morocco as the Charles Aznavour. He was, you know, one of those kind of uh, lounge singers and recording artists and big name. He ultimately became a cantor at the Spanish and Portuguese synagogue in Montreal. So he's the A. And at the uh, the Z end is Zal Yanovsky, who's one of the um, Love and Spoonful uh, artists who ultimately... Um, moved back to Canada after being uh, in the States and uh, wound up opening a restaurant in Kingston, Ontario called Shea Piggy. Kind of cute. Do you believe in magic in a young girl's heart? How the music can free her whenever it starts and it's magic. How did you narrow it down to those particular artists? Really a question of making sure that I could give enough quality content to readers Plus, always want to recognize and acknowledge photographers for their work. So having uh, a photograph of each of the artists and giving credit to the photographer is very important. And, you know, a lot of people just scalp stuff off YouTube or they pull it off the Internet. And I didn't want to do that because that's not my way. And um, so that sort of helped me 
sort of narrowed down the the artists. For example, Percy Faith, who's a, a big band leader, uh, born in Toronto, uh, he's best known for a, a movie tune called Fiend from a Summer Place. Back in the 50s, when I was trying to uh, get a one of his photographs and permission to use one of his photographs, uh, his grandson didn't even have the rights. I managed to locate a photographer in Los Angeles whose father had taken a picture of Percy Faith and other uh, luminaries in the Los Angeles area many, many years ago. And I said to him, well, what can I give you for this, uh, for this photo and for the credit? He said, I just want a copy of your book. When doing research for the book, is there anything that surprised you? I kept bumping into um, and all sorts of issues of, for my own mind uh, perspective, was I didn't know that. And that seems to be what, what people have come back to me with, uh, people who bought the book, which is available on Amazon.ca. And again, it's a full name, Under the Radar, 30 Notable Canadian Jewish Musicians, paperback and ebook format. And people would say things like, oh, you've written about Mark Jordan. He wrote Marina Del Rey. What a great tune. Gee, I knew he was Jewish. I didn't know he was Canadian. So I'd be getting those kinds of reactions from people all the time. Just that I didn't know that. Wow. And even at the top of this interview, um, I was asking you about the book and a song that we'll be playing later on. And um, you were mentioning facts to me. I'm like, wow, I didn't know that that would be good to include into the interview. So um, it is it is very informative. And I read that you are currently working on a second book. Tell us about that. Well, there are just so many of these artists who've um, um, kind of been forgotten. Um, I, I think if one was to take a, a bit of a poll, and again, it, it, it's not it's not an ethnic thing. I want to be very clear about that. But but you know, because lots of people, there are lots of talented people from all kinds of backgrounds. There's no question. But um, you know, I keep stumbling on artists who do meet those criteria that I outlined earlier. Stephen Page of The Bare Naked Ladies, Paul Hofford of Lighthouse, Maureen Forrester, uh, she's, a, um, she's passed on an operatic contralto. Freddie, um, oh goodness, uh, he was a flugelhorn player. He actually played in Lighthouse. Fre- uh, Freddie Stone, but a big band guy uh, who played with Duke Ellington. Again, Uh, I just keep discovering individuals, groups, male, female, different genders, different genres. They're they're just, uh, they they just kind of keep coming. They just keep coming. And, you know, again, a lot of people sort of say, well, gee, you know, how come you haven't written about Leonard Cohen, Getty Lee, or uh, Drake? And my response has been, well, they're all really above the radar and good for them. But there are so many other musicians, again, covering all these genres that um, to many people are unknown or have been forgotten. You know, if you know if you know jazz musicians, you'll know lots of these names. You might say, well, you know, why is somebody said to me the other day, Sharon Lois and Bram. My kids grew up with Sharon Lois and Bram. I said, right. But lots of people didn't have kids. Lots of people didn't even know they existed. I grew up with Sharon Lois and Bram. See, there, there you go. There you go. Uh, but but again, uh, Lois has passed on. Both Bram and Sharon have retired, uh, although I know Sharon keeps uh, waiting for COVID to disappear, and she and her daughter Randy, who's a lawyer, might uh, might just come back on stage as a, as a twosome, and maybe they'll drag Bram along, too. Is that uh, second book in the writing process still? Do you have a release date for it yet? 
but it's still in the compilation stage. Right now, we, we're certainly hoping that people will be able to uh, find this book and find it of interest. As I said, it's on Amazon.ca. Uh, we just uh, managed to get it into Book City and kind of hoping that Indigo and Chapters will be taking it too. The other thing is the website is under the radarbook.com. And if anyone sent me an email, theisenstat at tcgpr.com, I can find a way to get a copy in your hands if you don't want to go through Amazon. David is on Twitter as well, at David Eisenstadt. It was great speaking with you, David. Before we go, do you have a favorite song from one of the artists from your book? I'll play it now for you and our listeners. Well, there are there are so many, but, but one of the artists uh, who is kind of a favorite is a fellow by the name of Jerry Gray, who... Um, co-founded The Travelers with uh, an advertising industry icon by the name of Jerry Goodis. Uh, and, and in fact, um, Jerry just has a book out called The Lonesome Traveler. He's a foremost folk singer. Uh, you might remember This Land is Your Land, This Land is My Land. Well, there's another tune that they do really, really well called Lonesome Traveler. I think that's the one you should play. Again, the book is called Under the Radar, 30 Notable Canadian Jewish Musicians. You can get your copy at Amazon.ca and undertheradarbook.com. Thank you again, David. My pleasure. Thank you for uh, this opportunity. I appreciate it very much. I am a weary and a lonesome traveler. I am a weary and a lonesome traveler. Well, I am a weary and a lonesome traveler. I've been a traveling. I've traveled here and then I've traveled yonder. Well, I've traveled here and then I've traveled yonder. Well, I've traveled here and then I've traveled yonder. Well, I've been a I've traveled cold and then I've traveled hungry well. I've traveled cold and then I've traveled hungry well. I've traveled cold and then I've traveled hungry well. I've been a traveling on. Traveled in the mountains, traveled down in the valley well. I've traveled in the mountains, traveled down in the valley well. I've traveled in the mountains, traveled down in the valley well. I've been a traveling on. Travel with the rich, travel with the poor, travel with the rich, travel with the poor, travel with the rich, travel with the poor. I've been a traveling on. One of these days I'm gonna stop all my traveling. One of these days I'm gonna stop all my traveling. Well, one of these days I'm gonna stop all my traveling. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.